This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9, with available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute and available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Better Call Paul is a production of Lola Media. Say hi, Lola. Hey, everyone. This is Paul Sarker from Better Call Paul. Just wanted to remind you that the show is intended for entertainment purposes only and is not legal advice. I am not your lawyer unless we separately agree for me to represent you. And the views expressed by Mesh and me are solely our own. Everyone, welcome back to Better Call Paul, the show where we discuss the legal and business side behind the scenes of Hollywood sports and entertainment. I'm your co-host, Paul Sarker, former Marvel lawyer and current big law media attorney. And I'm your other co-host, Mesh Lakani. Hey, everyone. Like, happy Thanksgiving week. My favorite week of the year. I'm very excited for this week, Paul. Yeah, hey, everyone. Happy Thanksgiving or early Thanksgiving, I guess. It's a great week. I like it a lot. Unfortunately, work tends to get really busy for year end. And so this is kind of like in the middle of the sprint. But it is nice to be able to spend time with family and, you know, chill out for a couple days. So we wanted to come up with some favorite Thanksgiving movies and TV shows. I had a hard time coming up with any Thanksgiving movies. I know there's Thanksgiving episodes of TV shows like The Simpsons and Friends, but I don't know. Well, I think it's one of those things where we think there's a bunch of Thanksgiving stuff, but there's not. It's actually like second. I was When I was looking up the movies, it's quite secondary in the... Um, the plot of a movie. Normally, like, there's Christmas movies, right? I think it just lasts longer. In this case, it's, like, one day. So when I was looking up movies, I got... I don't know if you remember this movie, Soul Food, from back in the 90s, which I remember watching a ton of times growing up. Knives Out, The Blind Side, You've Got Mail, Spider-Man. These are all, like, technically Thanksgiving movies, but I think there's, like, a scene. You said Rocky was... Rocky also, but I don't think I don't think of Rocky as, as no, a Thanksgiving movie. I think there's like there's just like a scene in a movie and Thanksgiving and I've never like I don't think we can even like there's no Thanksgiving movie. Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown technically, but I think based off a TV show, so a Thanksgiving special, but there are TV episodes. So there's there's a bunch of TV episodes, but even then I was like, okay, I went and looked it up. Well that actually segues into our first topic, but which is the difference between TV movies and TV shows. But we'll get into that. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And I, you know, Friends always had a, Seinfeld Friends had Thanksgiving episodes. Obviously, Friends had a special episode that Brad Pitt was on. Succession had an episode. It's the one where they all, the whole family gets together for Thanksgiving and Logan's brother's there. And then there's a whole fight with the family. Masters of None had that, I think season two, they had a Thanksgiving episode that dived deep into like race and gender and sexuality and I think they won an Emmy for the writing of that. But other than that, honestly, 
Not much uh, when it comes to Thanksgiving shows. I'll say this. We got nothing better than going into Thanksgiving than a real-life succession episode that I was following all over the weekend. And we won't get into details here, but just fun to share. Watching this live go down, it was the whole open AI drama with Sam Altman getting kicked out and fired. And then essentially, like, there was like a coup and then got all the support of everyone involved from the investors and the owners and the employees. And now we're looking at, you know, what happens when over a weekend you see something like a CEO get kicked out of one of the most valuable companies in the world. And then you see the entire world join with him and then throw out the other guys. Basically a real world episode of Succession. It was fun to watch. It's funny how, you know, we have another topic this week. Like, you know, we do say business and legal side behind the scenes because Sometimes these stories move so fast it'll make your head spin. One thing I wanted to talk about is I did go to Indo Warehouse in Brooklyn, which is a South Asian DJ EDM experience. They have culture. There's like jewelry and other crafts set up by these two DJs, Kanal Merchant, who I've met. He's a super great guy, and Kahani. And they're just like having a moment. They did their first show maybe last year at Avant Gardner, and then they sold out, blew everyone away. They played Brooklyn Mirage. This was at a, a venue in Brooklyn. And they've done a tour. They did an India tour. They played Amsterdam. Cool. So they're just like blowing up. And it was so great to be a part of that. I mean, being South Asian and being in the crowd and just seeing such a vibrant community and feeling kind of like, you know, it's just something I'd never experienced before. Because normally when you go to a show, it's like you're the minority, right? It's it was so it was weird to have this one be like the majority, the majority. minority kind of setting. <laughs> um, but a lot of great talent, great event, and I'm certainly something we'll dig into in a future episode for sure. Well, look, I mean, having a good run there, it, it's like South Asian DJs, and right now, as we're recording this, India is playing in the World Cup semifinals cricket against Australia. India has been the favorite to win the whole thing. And just going back to it was it's funny because like some of the commentary around some of the open AI stuff was like, hey guys, can we get this settled? Because India is about to play Australia in the, in the in the World Cup semifinals, and there's some you know high profile Indian people involved in this whole thing. They need to watch this match. So Pakistan, right. Bangladesh, like, this my better two be, countries, this better be settled before it, the match it, starts. Exactly, and Pakistan and Bangladesh, my two countries, are out. So at this point, I'm probably going to be going for India. Maybe you know we'll see. You got to represent the South Asian brothers at some point. And you know, in a in a past life, I was well, not a past life. Earlier in this life, I was a South Asian DJ. So what, what was what was your DJ name? Parker Hooks. <laughs> so I didn't embrace the South Asian in my name, but certainly in my game. Oh my god, is that your line? <laughs> <laughs> no, I just came up with that right now. Um, so Parker Hooks let's is dig very into good. Their, Parker Hooks is it very is a good. good. Well, so my my buddy from law school, Ernie, came helped me come up with it. Uh, Parker's natural extension of Sarker. And then the hooks, you know, that's what I do is I hook people or um, oh my God. Know, songs could be considered hooks. <laughs> yeah, no, it's we'll great. We'll get into it. It's great. It's great. Why don't you um, hook everybody up now with the uh, with us talking about South Park? Okay, so this is, this is a wild story because it really does hit the essence of what I do, which is a lot of sophisticated contract and copyright licensing. In addition to, you know, other transactions, And we've talked about the streaming wars and how, in general, licenses for content most of the time are non-exclusive. But an SVOD, which is like your Netflix, your Amazon Primes, HBO Max, Paramount Plus, they often do have exclusive licenses because they view exclusive content as a way to grow subscribers. And 
uh, oftentimes, so in the in the early days of Netflix, they would have like Marvel movies and other back catalog content. So when HBO Max was launching, they did a deal with South Park for a five hundred million dollar deal, which was exclusive for all back catalog and thirty new episodes of South Park that hadn't been released. Twenty three seasons, then, right? I mean, that's the whole back catalog. Yeah, and then thir- yeah, thirty the whole new back episodes. Catalog. So they wanted to market themselves as like the home of South Park. Then. Two years later, MTV and Paramount, which are affiliated entities, and that's where South Park started on Comedy Central, which is a Paramount Viacom property. They did a new deal with the creator of South Park, Trey Parker and Matt Stone, and their JV for $900 million (laughs) for additional exclusive content going forward, which included South Park movies. So when they announced that new deal and said that they had two movies coming out, South Park post-COVID and South Park Streaming Wars, Warner Brothers Discovery sued Paramount saying, hey, we have the exclusive rights to South Park and you're breaching that contract and a host of other things. And just one thing for lawsuits, typically when you're a lawyer and you're a plaintiff side, you want to throw as many different causes of action into your complaint as you possibly can. If you lose on one, you want to have a backup and we'll discuss this. We have a couple litigations in this episode. So you'll say breach of contract, torturous interference, Whatever else, there's sort of a justifiable argument to make. Oh, oh, you're you're saying that you throw in a bunch in there and see which one sticks, and then you focus on that one. Well, which ones? Yeah, which ones survive? Right. So survive. Okay. Let's say there's a fact pattern that happens, and you were injured. Let's say the you have different levels of strength to your claims. So one would be a breach of contract. Another would be a tortious interference. And basically, like you and your legal team look at the facts and try to come up with as many credible arguments for damages, really. And then you put them all into the complaint because the other side's lawyers are going to try to defeat every single one. And if you only have one claim, then you only have one claim. But oftentimes there's multiple claims from the same fact pattern. In this case, they also alleged a breach of consumer protection laws saying that Paramount's marketing of having those movies on Paramount Plus harmed consumers and was like deceptive marketing. And the reason we're talking about now is because the judge dismissed that claim. And they said the claim between Warner Brothers and Paramount is not about deceiving consumers. She said consumers are sophisticated enough to know back catalog is on Warner Brothers or is on Max and that these movies are on Paramount Plus. This isn't about deceiving consumers. This is, you know, more of a traditional breach of contract claim. And that was Paramount's argument. There's like there's a very detailed contract, which is clear between two sophisticated parties. That's the damage here. And the judge isn't dismissing the whole case. They're just dismissing that aspect of consumer and, protection. And so if I ask a question here, if 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 the you know South Park Studios and Paramount are like, okay, obviously Max has all this past catalog and 30 new episodes. And so that could be in the upcoming like two or three seasons, right? Because let's say they do like 10 episodes per season. South Park recently, it's they have such weird cadence with their episodes in general. I feel like the two founders can do whatever they want, the creators. But if they were like, okay, let's, instead of releasing this as an episode in season 30, let's just release this like special episode that's more of like a lengthy, it's like 45 minutes could be considered like a mini movie or something. That could, could that be considered not part of Max's part but deal, but part of Paramount's part. Like it's a it's a TV movie, but it's well, only that's the that's the billion minutes. dollar question. Yeah, let's act like even the perfect contract. There's some gray area, right? And there's no such thing as a perfect contract. But you have two sophisticated parties, and the reality is you can't think of every possible issue, right? So oftentimes it's exclusive, but when you talk about back catalog, it's a lot clearer to say 
the episodes from the seasons listed on Exhibit A to this contract are exclusively controlled by Warner Brothers or HBO Max during the term, and they will, you know, they won't appear anywhere else. When you talk about going forward, and so they said 30 episodes. I haven't seen the contract, but apparently, according to the complaint and the judge's decision, that didn't say that the 30 episodes had to be in a specific number of episodes per season. There was no minimum episode right, per right, season right. order. Okay. And it didn't say that a TV, like you said, something that was longer than a traditional episode. So typically, episodes are like 22 minutes, maybe up to 26 minutes because there's ad breaks for streaming. There may not be ads, but I doubt it'd be 30 minutes. But even so, it could have said something like, episode shall mean any audiovisual representation of the show featuring the characters with a runtime less than 30 minutes or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and then something that's longer than 30 minutes may not meet the definition of episode and therefore may not be exclusively within the 30. And so what Paramount's saying is these are movies yeah. and not part of your 30 order. But that's the kind of thing that is in the contractual gray area, which is why Warner Brothers felt like they had a good case and they're suing and Paramount's defending. But it's not necessarily, I mean, it's it could get settled. The judge is saying there, there's, there's something here, but it really depends on the exclusivity. If someone said you have the next three Avengers movies, yeah, yeah, yeah. right, for example, yeah. and then someone did a movie with one or two of the Avengers right, but didn't call it right, Avengers, right. and it was like, I don't know, Thor and Hulk. Well, it's like, it's, it's Captain America Civil War, which is technically an Avengers movie because all of them are in it, but it's a Captain America movie. Exactly. And, and some of this, like how you describe families and what the boundaries are, that's really gray. So unless you can, when you try to talk about exclusivity moving forward on future projects, you really have to get to like the core ingredients of what makes something a qualifying project and what the parameters are. Because they're not saying that the four key characters that comprise South Park, Cartman, Kyle, Kenny, and Stan won't appear anywhere else. They could appear in a movie, in theory, but these movies weren't theatrically released. So what makes something a TV show versus a movie? Right. Is it the runtime? Right. That's well, then there's the, TV movies, right? Like Hallmark has TV movies. Right. Then there's TV movies, which is what these were, or streaming movies or whatever. But that's going to be what they decide in the, in the case if it doesn't settle. It's interesting because like South Park is notorious for having specials. Like they, they did one, you know, during COVID, they had like a COVID special. The, the, my actual favorite South Park, it was a three-parter. I think it was a three-parter or a two-parter. It was Imagination Land. And that was like a special event. It felt more like a movie. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't like part of the season. It was its own thing within a season. Right. Um, and I feel like they've always just taken, like, they're like, yeah, let, we just want to talk about this. Let's just do it as like a, a weird special episode within the season or it's a standalone thing. So I feel like that's why, because they kind of like Matt Stone and Trey Parker to just kind of do their own thing when it comes right. to South Park. Well, I mean, there was... South Park, bigger, longer, uncut, which you know, yes, which was the official movie back right, in the day, which was yeah. awesome, by the way. I, <laughs> it doesn't get yeah. old for me, although yeah. maybe there's certain I don't know. Uh, I, have, but, I had the poster in my room when I was a kid. <laughs> uh, no, so that's the thing, right? It's like, what are the parameters? What makes something an episode? That's contractual, and what Paramount even said is like, we're sophisticated, they're sophisticated. Let's go by what the contract says and what the parties intended in the contract and not some specious, speculative, or oh, were consumers deceived complaint or claim. And so the judge was sympathetic to that and said, yeah, I don't think this is about consumer harm. This is a breach of contract. There you go. We'll see.
Maybe it settles. We'll come back. We'll take a quick break and talk about another case that settled so fast it'll make your head spin. Thursdays. Firefighters, we're family. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. The subject has explosive chemicals. Get down! With fiery romances. You're the love of my life. And Andy is finally in charge. I'm going to be the best damn captain the station has ever seen. Station 19, all new Thursdays, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. Okay, so Paul, this case, very sad, very abrupt in its ending. This is the the lawsuit against Diddy, Sean Combs by Cassie, otherwise known as Cassandra Ventura, uh, who was known for that song, Me and You. Cassie was big in the early aughts, was founded by Diddy, and uh, this case was— She was uh, discovered by Ryan Leslie. Um, oh, who was also on Bad Boy, though, right? Yeah. So Ryan Leslie is actually like he discovered her a couple years before she went, signed with Bad Boy, but she okay. didn't release Me and You and like become a star until the Bad Boy interaction. But right. Ryan right, right, Leslie right. worked with her on her first album, and he's the guy. Apparently, I saw him at a conference last year. He founded the text-to-marketing craze. What do you mean text-to-marketing craze? So people didn't market to people's cell phones. Like That's something he started. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Well, he he now, I just saw an interview with him because I know that he had some a, a bad boy issue as well with Diddy, but he's on his own now and he, he talks very much about being independent and he doesn't need to reach millions of people. He just has like a really core group of fans that are willing to like buy tickets from him directly, merch, et cetera, et cetera. And he seems to be doing quite well. He was a super talented guy. Or it still is a talented guy. Yeah, super talented, super smart. I mean, very like cerebral. And his, I saw him speak on how to build a brand and like a social identity. Yeah. I remember after I saw his panel, I, I I hit you up and I was like, we need to do all these things for Better Call Paul, which we haven't necessarily done yet. Yeah, but that just yeah. shows it's it's harder. It's easier. Oh, said that was done. Ryan Leslie's thing. That, that was saw. Ryan Leslie's thing. Yeah, okay, like building cool. the whole funnel. You know, having six different points of contact with all your different people and and narrowing it down. Anyway. So Cassie was actually discovered by Ryan Leslie, but met Diddy at a party or in that world. And she's saying he pulled her into his ostentatious, high-flying, fast-paced, drug-fueled life. lifestyle. Lavished her with, like, money and, you know, brought her into this world, but then was also very— And she was 19. He was 37. Yeah, so there's an 18-year difference. And basically— what started as, hey, like, help me launch my career, and he became presumably attracted to her, and then became very controlling, abusive, sexually assaulted her. Uh, I can just list some of this off. Yeah, I mean, list it was all out, in the complaint. It's pretty so, terrible. Yeah. Uh, sexual assault, physical battery and assault, apparently, like, punching her in the face, kicking her, sex trafficking, making her have sex in front of male prostitutes where he recorded it and watched, rape in 2018, intimidation, perhaps false imprisonment. 
These things happening over the course of a decade and a half. Apparently in 2012, when she started getting romantically involved with Kid Cudi, he said he would murder him or something, and his car yeah. did blow up in his driveway. Oh my God, that was Kid Cudi's car? Yeah, it was Kid Cudi's car. So I, when I was doing my research, I read that, and it was like, Diddy blows up car of someone who is romantically involved with Cassie, and I didn't realize it was Kid Cudi. Yeah, well, and so Kid Cudi actually, in the day after this complaint, or the day the complaint was filed, said everything in there is true. Apparently, when... You know, she would, he would beat her. And this is all in the complaint. So we're not saying any of this happened. Uh, and it's not going to be decided by a judge because we'll get into that. But she said he would beat her and not let her see anyone and just like put yeah. her in a hotel room to recover for like, you know, a week or two weeks, fly her around the country. And it was this cycle of like spoiling her with like money and drugs and, you know, high class accommodations. And, then like beating her if she disagreed yeah, with him or if she wanted something else. And, right. you know, she eventually got married to a personal trainer that he introduced her to. Alex Fine, I believe his name is. And, uh, you know, she filed this lawsuit. But apparently she said, you know, she's been dealing with addiction to drugs and alcohol ever since she met him. Yeah. And the only time she's been sober was when she was pregnant with her kids. Wow. And she blames him for all these addictions. Right, um, right. And, you know, it sounds like it was like a living hell for about a decade and a half. Yeah, because it started in 2007 and she said she tried to end the relationship in 2018. Combs, uh, this is what I, in terms of what I read, Combs forced her into her LA uh, home and raped her. And then since then, I guess the chatter's been, she's been demanding, I guess, some type of settlement, threatening to write a book to damage you know, his name about the relationship that they had. And Combs kind of ignored it. Um, in this case, Diddy ignored it. And then, of course, she came out with this lawsuit. She came out with the lawsuit on Thursday. And the reason she came out, so just for the legal background, there's this thing called a statute of limitations. So if you're sexually assaulted and you don't bring your claim within a certain amount of time, you're not allowed to. And, you know, there's various public policy reasons behind encouraging, you know, people to file their claims early. And so, you know, you can still get evidence. You can have witnesses testify. If you wait too long, all that stuff goes away. So we have this thing called a statute of limitations. But in New York, there was a law passed called the Adult Survivors Act, which gave people, regardless of how long ago the claim occurred, it gave them a one-year window to file their claims. That window was about to expire this week that you're listening to the podcast. And that's why she filed the claim last week or this week. So she basically had seven days left before the clock ran out, filed the complaint, and then it was settled the next day. Yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, just talking like personally how I feel about this one, absolutely terrible. I'm not surprised hearing this about, you know, someone like Diddy. He's always seemed to be somewhat of a bad boy you know, narcissistic e egomaniac. Yeah. Who just like, just even when you would watch like that show, the band and how you would treat people. Sure. Maybe part of uh, his personality in terms of being on screen, but he just seemed like one of those guys, like wants to be the center of attention. will do whatever it takes to have power and money. So it's not surprising at all. If anything, I'm glad that this came out. I hope other people come out more with it. The settlement I think good for her in terms of hopefully she got what she wanted and put his name out there. I just hope it's one of those things that doesn't get ignored. But let's talk about what actually happened in the settlement. Well, to to be clear, I mean, people had been saying, and I, you know, if you were on TikTok after, when the complaint came out, people were like, yes. this was a story yes. in the industry for years. Like people years, had been yeah. talking about it. I'm so glad she finally came forward and like told her story for the world to hear. In the course of filing the complaint, 
Diddy's lawyer, big time defense attorney Ben Braffman said, this is a shakedown. These are baseless allegations. And, you know, by the way, they've been asking for $30 million and we didn't want to pay. So they filed this complaint. Yeah. Cassie's attorney fired back and said, actually, they tried to pay us eight figures not to file this. But now to hear the stuff about Russell Brand and to see this about Diddy, it's just like that yeah, movie. Yeah, both of them in the same movie. Yeah, it's like maybe this is, they're just like horrible people. And we did our top 10 hip hop albums earlier this summer. I, I didn't include anything other than Biggie's albums because I just, I think, you know, Diddy's probably a better business executive. That's probably what he's best at because I think as an artist, like <laughs> Dude, the songs he was on like, <laughs> were better yeah, without not, him. Yeah. But, you know, he has been associated <laughs> with a lot of really talented people. And you can say that Bad Boy is responsible for some of the growth of hip hop, right? So you can't well, deny. I mean, yeah, Mace, Notorious, B.I.G., Faith Evans. I'm trying to think who else. Ch- Jagged 112. Edge. One, Jagged oh, it was 112, Edge. sorry. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no. So you can't deny that Bad Boy. Kim. Yeah. Bad Boy is a label that was like instrumental in, in the growth of hip hop. But he just seems like a like a bad dude. and um, He seems like a bad dude. He settled this case. So in litigation, which is very expensive and very time consuming, the vast majority of cases end up settling. This happens a lot because litigation is really expensive and both sides are always weighing the cost benefit of like, what are the what's the cost of bringing this forward, of keeping fighting this, which could be six, seven figures. And what do I stand to gain? So Cassie was suing for money, right? Money damages. That was her goal. And she's probably deciding like, if I go through this, maybe I have to pay my lawyer, whatever, seven figures. Maybe they're on contingency. It potentially could take years to get a decision. And if you know, she's got an amount in her mind she's she's fighting for. Sure, sure. And if Diddy's like, hey, I'll pay you 80%. Now, the numbers weren't disclosed. And Diddy's lawyer said, this is not an admission of wrongdoing. We're just settling this amicably, which is, you know, covering the bases. It's confidential. Diddy, the reason you would settle, not saying he's guilty or there's truth to these rumors. I'm just saying, logically, sure. someone in this setting would settle because they don't want this to be public. They don't want some circus where all the complaints and like people are testifying and there's discovery and there's this whole public drama and more and more people are brought into this. And then Diddy's associates are getting dragged into it through the trial and the press. Well, do you think they, do you think they learned that from like a Johnny Depp, Amber Heard thing that got dragged out so long? And by the end of it, it's like, Ooh man, this has just been tainted terribly. And like all that business is out there for the world. to see. Exactly. Like it's the public, it's the risk. So even if you win the lawsuit, you may lose the PR war. And, you know, Diddy's, you know, his his net worth is over a billion dollars. He makes apparently 90 million a year, reportedly. And the fact that this even got out and the impact to his empire, if there was a long drawn out trial and complaint process, probably be more damaging than whatever he's writing, whatever check he's writing to Cassie. But I don't even know how it got to this point. Well, the unfortunate reality here is one, I'm glad that, Cassie was able to put that out there, get paid, then also doesn't have to go through the like public scrutiny of just dealing with this. I'm sure it's already emotionally taxing enough. The other thing is like when you're that powerful in an industry, the power you have to make and break people's careers and to keep them employed or not employed gives you the power to control what they say or don't say. When we we were planning on doing this, it was... um, Okay, let's do some research on this whole thing, talk the case, and then by the time, I think the next day it was over. Uh, we'll keep you posted if there's more stuff that comes out about this. Yeah, let's take a quick break and come back with something that's actually a little bit more educational, the FCC broadband regulation. 
This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, Mesh, for all the folks who said, you know, we've been doing a lot of talking about entertainment, the business side of things, the strikes, we haven't done a nitty gritty legal topic in a while. And I wanted to discuss this. The FCC enacted final rules prohibiting discrimination in the provision of broadband, which you may think, well, blah, 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 you know, FCC, it sounds like the government, but who cares? This actually could be pretty important because it's broadband and the FCC regulates communication, which really fa- impacts every aspect of our lives, right? Like think like if you didn't have internet, how long yeah, yeah, could yeah, you, yeah. you know, live, right? Like my internet went down for like an hour yesterday afternoon. Well, that's I was what like, I was saying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was almost Lord of the Flies. <laughs> so just to give people the background, the Commerce Clause, which is Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution, gives Congress the authority to regulate foreign and interstate commerce. So Congress has the authority to regulate commerce. In 1934, they established the FCC, the Federal Communication Commission, which regulates telecom industry, radio, and wire communication in the U.S. Basically, Congress said, hey, we don't want 50 different states to have their own communication regimes. We, we think it's important for this to be centralized and unified across the country. Let's establish the FCC, give them the authority to regulate. And then that established this regime Title I and Title II. Title II is common carriers, which are heavily regulated. And Title I is light touch, open regulation, information services. And I don't know if you guys remember back in 2020, there was this debate about net neutrality because the FCC was going to try to regulate broadband under Title II instead of as an information service. And all the internet companies and even the streamers were like, no, 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 we want open internet. We want light touch regulation. We don't want to be regulated heavily. And the reason we're talking about this now is because the Republicans favoring less regulation think that the FCC is trying to get back to regulating broadband heavily with this rulemaking. So what they said, and this is all part of Biden's infrastructure law in 2021, the the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act said uh, when that was passed in 2021, they said by November 15th, 2023, the FCC needs to implement rules to regulate, to prevent the discrimination of broadband access in the U.S. So the FCC implemented those rules last week. So what they mean by that is um, uh, prevent digital discrimination of broadband broadband access based on income level, race, ethnicity, color, religion, national origin. And so are they saying that in relation to some people in some areas just get better internet access and pricing than others? Is is that what it comes down to? Well, that's the analysis, right? So you want to read those again? 
Yeah, so it's um, the FCC is implementing the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, which directed the commission to prevent digital discrimination of broadband access based on income level, race, ethnicity, color, religion, or national origin. Right. So those are considered protected classes. Those are the, well, not necessarily income level, but discrimination on any of those bases is something that is, you know, the government says we want equal access. So if you are of one ethnicity or one color or one religion or one national origin, you shouldn't have, you know, worse broadband access or less broadband access. Same with income level or race, right? So equality of access to broadband is an important national objective and virtue. And the FCC's job is to ensure that Americans have access regardless of any of those characteristics, right? Color, religion, national origin, ethnicity, race, income level. And so what the FCC is saying is they they just passed the rule to say whether or not we don't have to prove intent. So if a broadband company, if their policies, business policies, rules, provision of broadband has a disparate impact on any one of these bases, whether it's income level, national origin, ethnicity, color, religion, race, that's something that is actionable. They can look into it and they can find the companies for um, policies that have impacts that are disparate. And what the Republicans are saying is it shouldn't be enough to prove a disparate impact. You also have to prove discriminatory intent, meaning some broadband companies saying, well, I don't want people that are that have purple skin or green skin to have broadband. So I'm going to find all the neighborhoods where people of that skin color live, and I'm not going to put broadband in those neighborhoods. What the Republicans are saying, you have to prove an intent to discriminate. So you have to find some sort of internal correspondence or memo that says we're targeting these people or we're avoiding these areas and we're only putting broadband in these areas where it's profitable for us or where blah, blah, blah. And what the FCC is saying is even though we haven't seen evidence of discriminatory intent, we're not saying we necessarily need to see that because intent is sort of secondary here. What we need to see is impact. So they're basically making the bar to making a complaint a lot lower by saying it's a disparate impact as opposed to having to prove intent. And they're going to create this new portal for consumer complaints. So if you live in a rural area and you're like, you know, I've been calling, you know, broadband company X and I can't get access. I have to just use dial up or whatever because I don't have broadband then they can file a complaint. And if there's enough of those complaints, the FCC is going to meet monthly to look at the trends in the complaints. They can start investigating and finding broadband companies. Yeah, this is interesting because then if, a, if you're a broadband company and you're looking at a certain area, let's say you have made some analysis that the amount of infrastructure spend to put broadband here versus what we would get paid back, then they decide not to do it for whatever reason. Probably because again, like income levels, whatever it might be. But it is interesting that you know, there. This is kind of a reason why. A little side note that I think people talk about uh, Starlink, yeah. which is uh, SpaceX satellite internet, essentially that covers area like rural areas or areas where like without the build is not out, accessible. right? Once without they have the a satellite out, yeah. network, you don't need to lay the cable, which is a lot cheaper. Exactly. Exactly. Well, so to your point, the FCC did say. Uh, In response to these complaints, the broadband providers are allowed to provide a legitimate business justification for why they're not providing broadband in a certain area. So, for example, if there's a low-income community and it's on the other side of a mountain and, you know, the broadband company says, for us to put broadband on that side of the mountain, we'd have to blow up XYZ or go through some sort of protected wildlife refuge. 
that's a legitimate business reason not to have broadband there. So that's a response. So they just need to provide a response. But it's a much lower standard if you don't have to prove intent. And the Republican concern is that when you say you know equal access on something like income level, that is a small step from rate regulation. And what they don't want right. the FCC to be able to do is say, you're charging too much for broadband too much. and establish yes. a pricing structure because it's very important to the Republicans. And I think overall, the justification is that free market is going to lead to the best broadband pricing. And if companies can charge freely what the market's willing to pay, then they're going to spend more in investing in infrastructure and building out the product. Yeah. Unfortunately, that only really happens in like high density areas. You know, I had big, big uh, TV provider and internet that was charging me an arm and a leg. And then company B comes around, offers something in the elevator. I'm seeing like a poster that just says high speed internet, 30 bucks. My neighbor got it. He's like, yeah, it's pretty easy to set up. Like they, it's like no background checks, no big long contracts. I immediately switched to it. I'm now paying 30 bucks a month for, you know, 250 megabyte per second download speed or whatever it might be. I'm pretty happy with it. And I don't have to deal with the big company, but that's in New York City. That's well, not going to happen in like to your random point, town, middle America. I used to have company B in my previous apartment. Since I moved in 2021, I no longer have access to company B. I only have to use company A. Off yeah. On the FCC's rulemaking, I could file a complaint and say company B won't come to my area because of XYZ reason. And maybe the company B that is so great, maybe they would have to come to my area or maybe they'd have. So that's the thinking. It's like, it is business motivated in the sense that company B is a great company. They provide great service for a lower rate, but they can't build out a network that covers every square foot of New York City that, that just takes time, right? Maybe they'll get here eventually. But to your point, in smaller areas where it's like people are very spread out, it's just going to take time and money. And are they going to build a huge infrastructure to service, you know, a thousand people? I don't know. Yeah. And I would make the argument to kind of conclude on this. Uh, my personal opinion is if you want, if you think about the country as a whole and you want the country to progress over, like, say, the next several decades and be competitive, everyone in the country should have access to Internet. We could get into the whole thing. They should also have access to healthcare. But in this case, access to internet, the ability to use what everyone has, you know, this this right to have, like access to internet, access to information, what potentially that can get you. That should be everyone in the country. That only makes people potentially more competitive, better, et cetera. No one's disagreeing with what you're saying as far as it should be widespread access is, is critical. What the disagreement is, do you have to prove that companies were intending to discriminate or do you just have to prove that the impact was discriminatory? Yeah, That's really yeah. the crux of it because proving that the proving the intent is a lot harder thing to prove. Yeah, and like I guess when you think about it from a business standpoint, when you're doing a market analysis on like your customer and your target audience, like you are looking at things like do they have the ability to pay? I mean, this happens all the time when people are thinking about like millennials versus Gen Z versus Gen A, who is a higher spender? Uh, when they're looking at like the at the age, right? You're now focused on millennials. At one point, you're focused on like Gen Xers. Millennials have higher spend than Gen Z. Gen Z soon will have higher spend, and and et cetera, et cetera. And then you adjust based on that, right? But in you know, the companies in their you know like goals, they want to sell their product to as many purchases as possible, yes. right? So if yes. if a market becomes saturated, they're going to look for markets where they're less saturated. In theory. Yeah. You know, if you have a free market, everyone eventually will get internet access. But this is the sort of thing like, you know, people should have the right to file a complaint if they feel like they 
they can't get access and they've tried contacting companies and they just can't get access. Yeah. But you're right. Yeah. Maybe a satellite answer is the answer. Yeah. Well, I, I, I like this topic. Um, I, I think a uh, good choice on picking it, Paul. At, at first, when you picked it, when the way it sounds, I was like, oh, man, this is going to be super dense. But it's pretty applicable to everyone. Everyone needs Internet you know, at this point. Yeah. Well, always a pleasure hearing the breakdowns. Folks, we all hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving. And that's our show for this week. Make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast, Apple, Spotify, wherever you choose to listen. Tell your friends, tell your family. Subscribe to us at Better Call Paul, the podcast. Maybe play TikTok, the show Instagram. for Thanksgiving. Maybe just play it for all your uh, friends and family. When your family's hanging out before the dinner, before Grace, just play an episode. And I think, you know, you should be rewarded. Better Call Paul is produced and edited by Valentino Rivera and assistant producer Lisa Sanders. Have a great week. Thanks, everyone.